Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Technology Report. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. And joining us now is Mike McNerney. He is the Senior Vice President for Security at the Cybersecurity Insurance Startup Resilience previously. He is a U.S. Air Force veteran who is also the director of Vets in Tech, an organization that helps veterans get jobs in technology, better reintegrate into civilian life, as well as advocate for better access to critical technologies. Read Mike's commentary on our website now. Don't pull the plug on our veterans in which he argues Congress must resume funding for the affordable connectivity program that so many citizens and veterans rely on to access vitally needed services. Mike, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for making time for us. Great to be here. Thanks, Vago. Uh, An absolute pleasure. And a word from our sponsors. Before we get underway, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. HII sponsors our global coverage. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval coverage. Uh, Mike, uh, as I said, uh, welcome uh, to the uh, program. And first, tell the audience, you know, I want to get to the cyber portion of the discussion mm-hmm. uh, in a moment. But first, tell the audience about Vets in Tech and what do you guys do? Sure, Vago. And, and thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it, uh, both for the opportunity to talk about Vets in Tech, as well as for this really important program, the Affordable Connectivity Program, which has flown a little bit under the radar. So Vets in Tech is a charity uh, that connects veterans with jobs and training in the tech sector. We focus around education, employment, and entrepreneurship. And we have uh, chapters and veterans all over the country, as well as a number of great uh, tech partners. I should mention, I know we're going to get to cybersecurity a little bit later, but one of our core competencies is training and placing vets in careers in cybersecurity as well. So we we really like to focus on that uh, through Vets in Tech uh, as well. Uh, And uh, tell us a little bit about the piece uh, you wrote for us. It's up on our website, so I encourage the audience to check it out. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the uh, Affordable Connectivity Program and why it's so important, not just nationwide to citizens all across uh, the country, but also vets in particular. Absolutely, happy to do that. I think, Vago, if you think back to uh, 2020 and the start of the pandemic, it became clear to a lot of people in this country just how important, really just how critical internet connectivity was, really for all aspects of humanity in this country. And the ACP, or the Affordable Connectivity Program, is a subsidy. It's essentially a a government stipend of $30 a month that allows veterans, as well as some other groups, uh, to be able to afford uh, internet access, which again, I think is really something that's very important today when um, you know you have all kinds of uh, remote learning, you have remote telehealth, um, you have uh, remote work itself. All these things have become crucial uh, to the fabric of of how we do things in the United States. And allowing uh, veterans and other uh, groups of people access to internet is really going to be uh, important for them to be able to be successful uh, in today's economy. Uh, and tell us a little bit about the specific problem. Uh, now yeah. that you know, Congress is very good at causing, unfortunately, problems for <laughs> itself and for Americans, uh, right? I mean, the good news is uh, we didn't have a government shutdown, but all we did is kick the can down the road uh, to January and sort of a potentially staggered shutdown uh, situation. Right. Talk to us about where Congress is falling short on uh, the affordable uh, connectivity program and what, you know, what folks have to do to get this renewed. 
Absolutely. So this program really just needs to be reauthorized by Congress. The good news is the White House has put in a budget item of $6 billion to continue this program. We're very excited about that. But unfortunately, this particular program, the ACP, has fallen victim to, you know, to your point, Vago, uh, the, the kind of Congress level uh, dysfunction. It is really a victim of these these bigger budgetary fights uh, that are seeming to grind everything to a halt. So unless we can get the gears moving again, this this program right here that so many veterans and others depend on uh, is a little bit at risk. And if I can paint a little bit of a picture here, you know, people may think that this stipend, which is you know only thirty dollars a month, you know, maybe it's not that uh, not that big a deal. Maybe it's you know no no problem if it goes away. But for people that are you know really um, living. Uh, paycheck to paycheck. And I don't know if you know this, Vago, but veterans are, are twice as likely as non-veterans to take jobs that pay uh, less than $25,000 a year when they leave active service. So many times these veterans and their military families uh, are living paycheck to paycheck. That $30 a month can really mean the difference between you know uh, having an internet connectivity or having money to pay for heating or your electric bill or your water bill or whatever the case may be. And, and we don't want to have our veterans having to make uh, decisions like that when it's really quite a simple thing to reauthorize this program. I, I, how do you respond, though, right? I mean, we're in uh, a period uh, where uh, particularly being spearheaded by GOP lawmakers say, mm -hmm. hey, look, you know, these are bells and whistles and it's great. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, mm -hmm. you know, uh, make make these calls yourself. You can go to the public library and access mm -hmm. Uh, your internet there, you know, this isn't something for the government be, to be doing. What it, What is the argument uh, that you would make on why this program is important and actually has a, a force multiplier effect, uh, right, yeah. uh, ultimately, which I think is a little bit of your argument? Exactly. Thanks for raising that point, Vago. So I think there are a couple different uh, responses here. Um, the first is that uh, basic internet connectivity is increasingly essential, right? For to the, I go back to the comments that I made at the top of this discussion. It is essential for different walks of life uh, in this country. Think about all the work that is now done, not just uh, can you do it remotely, but has to be done remotely. Uh, in addition, there are a number of veterans um, that are taking online and remote uh, learning courses, and again, think about think about you're a veteran. Maybe you're maybe you're you know stationed somewhere uh, away from home. You're you're away from a major city. You're away from any place that has a college. You have to uh, do your education or do uh, you know your work online. And then um, the other thing that I think is often missed is uh, telehealth. Right? There are right. I want to say 24% of veterans today live in rural areas. Um, with no immediate access to, to hospitals and doctors. And so providing them with access to telehealth is actually like a critical uh, health need for them. So I think that's number one is these these aren't nice to have services. Uh, the internet is not nice to have anymore. It is in fact uh, essential. Um, the other thing that I'll say is uh, the productivity gains here will far outstrip any cost, right? I mean, $6 billion is a lot of money, Vago, to you and me. It's not a lot of money to the government, but the benefit that we'll have with people uh, able to work, right, those remote jobs, able to get those uh, remote degrees that allow them to work even better jobs is going to be paid back tenfold in terms of GDP and taxes paid and all that kind of stuff. So it really is a win-win all around. Uh, I would uh, I would agree with you. And, and uh, what do folks... Uh, have to do what do leaders have to do uh and and you know who are the members that the you know folks ought to be calling and saying hey you know let's let's get this uh let's get this uh this this ball rolling 
Yeah, you know, I think, across the finish line maybe is a better way of putting. It. There you go. That's right. That's that's the right uh, analogy there. So you know, I think one of the um, most humbling characteristics of veterans is they aren't very good at advocating for themselves. Right? They're they're a selfless group of people, and so they haven't uh, been out there making as much noise as perhaps other interest groups. And so I would ask anybody listening to to step into their shoes and say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up on behalf of our our nation's veterans and advocate on their behalf. And specifically, I would point them uh, to Congress and even more specifically to the House of Representatives itself. Um, I would certainly ask people to reach out to their individual members, but also to focus on the leadership of the House, uh, but even even more specifically, uh, the House appropriators. Tell them that this is a a critical thing, that this is a nonpartisan issue. We like to say it's not a red or blue issue. This is a red, white, and blue issue. It's good for our veterans. It's good for the country. It's good for our economy. Let's let's get this thing. Uh, let's get this ball past the line, Vago, as you said. Uh, well, I would uh, I would say that as uh, Thanksgiving uh, approaches, uh, tomorrow's Thanksgiving, I would like to believe that folks would uh, like to get into the spirit uh, to make life easier for everybody. Right. Because, you know, as you said, uh, Mike, during the pandemic, right, I mean, folks went to telehealth and telehealth is a terrific way of reaching people where they are. Uh, and and oftentimes, you know, there's there's a lot of good you can do that's short of somebody having to go to a medical center, especially if they're distributed uh, right. around uh, the country. And I know how the VA is working that uh, part of the equation much, much harder uh, to to try to get that uh, health care down to that, you know, across the last uh, last mile. And um, let me make me, one more point if, uh, that I should yeah, have made ahead. earlier is it's not just about the veterans, right? It's also about their families. Um, and, you know, remote work has been just a terrific, uh, has provided terrific opportunities for military spouses and military families to bring in extra income. So this only not only benefits the vets, but it does benefit their families as well, which is important. Uh, and and we should say also citizens across the United States, right? Because we're finding that that connectivity is 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 integral integral to education, employment, health, uh, well being, and and what have you. And you're increasingly you can't do anything with the federal government if you don't have connectivity. Hundred uh, right? percent. Uh, so uh, you know the, there isn't that little window you can go to to ask ask questions. That's um, right. Let me. Let, let me take you to the question of uh, cybersecurity. You spent sure. a career uh, doing this, uh, both uh, in uniform and, and out of uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, and Resilience previously is a startup insurance company. And I think that people kind of want to wrap their heads around how on earth this works, because when it comes to coverage, there are a lot of folks who are asking, well, wait a minute, what's coverage covered, what's not covered, given that virtually everything at any uh, company is actually cyber related, whether it's payable mm-hmm. role, whether it's technology, whether it's the machine tools. Talk to us a little bit about the insurance equation, what's covered, what's not, and and how to, to think of an industry that I think a lot of people have a little bit of trouble understanding, especially given the kind of profound risks that exist out there. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I can't blame them. Frankly, Vaga, before I came to uh, Resilience, I was uh, a novice when it came to insurance as well. But I was really fortunate to join a company. We were just talking about veterans a moment ago. Uh, You know, the chairman of our board is a veteran. Our CEO is a veteran. A number of people on the leadership team, including myself, are veterans. So there's a very deep, rich uh, veteran culture in the company. Why is that important? Uh, It's because it helps us bring a sense of mission to what we're trying to do. So um, what we like to think of insurance is uh, kind of a, a force multiplier, almost like we were talking about earlier, where uh, it can uh, be a tool uh, to help people 
know how to you know um, improve their cybersecurity hygiene and incentivize them uh, to do so, right? So insurance has the opportunity to be a very positive force. And say, for example, uh, you can think about this in like uh, the life insurance context, right? If you want to get life insurance, the insurance company is going to come to you and say, okay, well, you got to stop hang gliding and smoking cigarettes and shark cage diving. And then, you know, then you can get insurance. Right. Um, and cybersecurity can work very much the same way. We say, look, you want to be covered for a cybersecurity incident. You need to have a strong password policy. You need to have a strong patching policy. You need to have multi-factor authentication and other controls. And eventually that uplifts everybody's uh, cybersecurity IQ. You know, there are so many variables that are associated to, uh, with this, right? I mean, threat profile, you know, in, in driving, a safe driver gets better uh, rewarded, mm -hmm. uh, right? And we do everything to improve the threat environment, right? Mm -hmm. Do better lane markings and, and, and what have you. The administration has been driving a better national approach to cyber, uh, mm -hmm. as well as a greater focus, you know, at the DOD side of things uh, on the department's cyber infrastructure, but also the, the defense industrial bases, uh, yep. cyber security. What's your assessment of where the White House and the Pentagon have been going in terms of improving cyber uh, security? And what is the material impact of that, right? I mean, you're insuring all of these folks against these risks as the administration is trying to safeguard that whole national ecosystem. Give, it, give us your sense on uh, the, the progress you think they're making at the department and at the White House. Absolutely. And I actually, Vaga, I would include really uh, all uh, of the federal government. Um, you rightly mentioned the Department of Defense, but the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of the Treasury, the Department of Justice, uh, really there has been, uh, and so on, there really had the Department of State, Commerce, there really has been a, a whole of, of government approach to cybersecurity. I have to say that this administration has been probably the most aggressive on cybersecurity uh, and forward leaning that, that I've seen, which, uh, you know, I love that. Um, and I love uh, whenever I see news about, you know, the Department of Defense, you know, uh, doing something in cyberspace or the Department of Justice and the FBI uh, doing a takedown of a ransomware actor, for example, um, or an indictment of some criminal enterprise. Uh, we love that. We, we want to see more of that. I think, um, you know, we've been kind of uh, taken advantage of uh, by the, the foreign cyber actors for, for long enough. And it's great to see that that pushback. Um, for what it's worth, we partner with uh, the government um, whenever we can, you know, with information sharing, um, uh, particularly uh, because, you know, we're a big fan of this, uh, of, of really trying to help uh, stem the cyber threat more generally. And I should give a, a shout out. Chris Inglis was a fine airman uh, right. as well. Uh, and uh, sort of the really incredible and instrumental role he played, not just at the, uh, not just at the National Security Agency, but of course, uh, when he was uh, with the Solarium Commission and then as the nation's first uh, national cyber director. That's uh, right. Where, where he just did an incredible uh, job. But his successor is also doing a great job. So kudos uh, kudos to her as well. Um, let's, I, I want to uh, get your sense mm -hmm. on the, the changes in the national progress we're making and the impact they're having on cyber insurance, right? Mm -hmm. what, what, how is, you know, right? I mean, presumably as, the security goes up, the risk goes down, the premium structure changes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't expect you to give sort of a reading, right? If folks want to go and call you guys <laughs> up and find out what, what good cyber insurance looked like. But how many people are covered? How many are not, right? When it comes to home insurance or fire insurance or liability insurance, they're musts, right? That's how, right. how does this work on the cyber side of the equation? Right. How much of it is voluntary and how susceptible is it to external factors and and is the are the administration's effort making 
that insurance cheaper for people. Yeah, and I'm happy to keep this at a at a higher level. Um, for any for any actuaries that happen to be listening to the podcast, they're welcome <laughs> to call in, and and we can go into more detail. Um, but you know, cyber insurance is not a requirement. Like for example, car insurance, it is something that is completely optional, and uh, and companies uh, can opt into it. Uh, many do. Uh, to be honest with you, the market right now is still very new. This is a relatively immature market compared to other lines like fire and home insurance and car insurance. So there is quite a lot of room to grow. Um, but it is something that uh, companies increasingly opt into. I think the real inflection point in this industry, Vago, was. Uh, the ransomware epidemic that we saw really just a couple years ago. Um, if you remember, this kind of seemed like it came out of left field, all these uh, ransomware uh, actors attacking, uh, you know, Western businesses, um, you know, all across the board, right? We saw ransomware actors attacking schools. We saw them attacking hospitals. We saw them attacking manufacturers. And that culminated um, with that big ransomware attack on the Colonial Pipeline. You might remember, I think, from two years ago, last uh, last July. And so that really um, brought the impact of, of cyber attacks into stark relief. Before that, I think it was generally seen as kind of a nuisance, which it was, but ransomware has been so insidious and so damaging um, you know, every time you take a company offline for a ransomware attack, they could be losing millions of dollars a day in lost productivity, uh, not to mention potentially needing to pay some you know ridiculous ransom to get their data back. So this became a really acute and immediate problem for um, the industry and for the country. And that's why I think you saw this inflection point, both in terms of the insurance market and how it matured. Uh, how the insurance market was uh, was was doing its business, and that also I think was an inflection point in the government. We were just talking about a minute ago. It really kickstarted the government's action to take more aggressive actions in cyberspace. So again, I would point to to ransomware as uh, the really the big inflection point in the industry. And if I were to kind of point to one thing as a you know a good reason to maybe consider uh, insurance, um, it is ransomware. And the other thing that I'll that I'll note is before I talked about you know, the benefits of, of an insurance provider on the front end, helping, you know, for example, helping you walk through what controls you should put in place to avoid an incident. But in the almost inevitable uh, case where you are breached, right, um, having a good insurance provider can help you with the cleanup afterwards, right? A good insurance right. company, and this is true of, of just about all of them, will come with, you know, pre-negotiated uh, agreements with you know, forensics teams and PR teams and restoration teams and everyone to get you back up and running as fast as possible. So it really is about the prevention and then the resilience afterwards. Uh, you are the serve pro uh, of uh, post uh, post cyber, but uh, those are <laughs> actually all uh, critical uh, elements of this. And I just want to tell the audience, I am not in the business of selling cyber insurance. So I, I just want to make that abundantly clear. <laughs> However, um, throughout my career, I've argued that we should be taking, I mean, we we had uh, CMMC, uh, which was well-intended, the cybersecurity model um, uh, maturity uh, certification process to try to, you know, get us, you know, at least like through a voluntary process. But ultimately, we found that a lot of voluntary elements don't work as well mm -hmm. as, as mandatory efforts. Mm -hmm. uh, and my view has been, we have to go to a fire safety model, mm -hmm. ultimately. Uh, where there are minimal standards and they keep improving over time, right? I mean, it starts with sprinklers, then it goes to smoke detectors and the like. Do we, I mean, I know this might give you kind of a self-serving platform to make your argument here, Mike, but <laughs> I mean, do, do isn't, isn't that where we need to go with this? Because I'm going to ask you about the SEC's 
uh, action, the Security and Exchange Commission going after SolarWinds uh, and, and holding the company accountable, saying you knew of these vulnerabilities that led to massive government-wide and industry-wide uh, breaches of, of critical information. Yeah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. do we need to have some more mandatory like fire safety regs? Here are the things you have to do to protect the data, because this is all of our data. And this is a price that all of us are paying. And you can't just, you know, shovel it under the carpet anymore. Yeah, thanks, Vago. I mean, we're certainly seeing the trend towards that way, right? We're seeing a greater trend towards, um, you know, voluntary mandates, maybe down the line, there will be more regulatory standards as well uh, for things like critical infrastructure. Um, the Department of Defense has looked for things uh, like this when it comes to the defense industrial base. Um, and you rightly pointed out that the SEC has um, put out new uh, rules and guidance about uh, the reporting of cyber incidents. So I think there is a growing recognition that you do need to meet some kind of a minimum standard. There is some kind of minimum threshold of you know what's called cyber hygiene um, that really uh, is important for the safety of everybody, right? Um, now, I think what, one of the nice things about just bringing it back to the, the insurance context, one of the nice, th- the nice things about insurance is, um, you know, we can kind of move with with the market, right? We can create market incentives uh, for companies uh, to meet that are a little bit more flexible and a little bit more agile and can move uh, faster and be more innovative than uh, just a, a particular government regulation might be, which can take years to promulgate, as you know. So it is a nice uh, partnership there to have, you know, government saying, you know, these are the standards, in some cases voluntary, in some cases, uh, you know, regulatory, as well as the private sector, the security companies and the insurance companies saying, okay, you know, we're happy to write to those standards, as well as include some of our own. And again, hopefully, everyone is, uh, everyone's security is, in, is improved uh, nationwide as a result. How important do you think, um, the holding to account of solar winds obviously they're innocent until uh proven uh guilty uh but i remember the cyber solarium commission you know making that argument and tom mm-hmm. fanning of southern uh corporation was one of the people who was like look companies uh, and corporate leadership have to be held accountable otherwise we are going to keep sweeping it under under uh, the rug generally uh when it comes to investing i know we don't want a nanny state but you know, mm-hmm. especially smaller companies are going to make that trade-off. Well, look, I might get hit. I might not get hit. Well, but you could compromise a very sophisticated weapon system, for example, even though you have a smaller subordinate role on it. Yeah. It, do, what, what's the message that this is sending? And is it, you know, how are you seeing the ecosystem change as a result of the SEC's action against SolarWinds? Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen a number of different different uh, chief information security officers that are, uh, you know, being held to account across the board for uh, lapses in security. Um, that has definitely had um, a reverberation through the community. Um, you know, security professionals like myself and others are, are really thinking about, you know, their obligations to their organizations. Um, they're really thinking hard now about what they actually communicate to their leadership and to their board about where they actually are as a company, right? Sometimes telling hard truths to power as opposed to maybe just saying, you know, uh, what they want to hear. So I think that has had a a tremendous impact. Um, I can tell you anecdotally from what we've seen, um, we have seen cybersecurity, the cybersecurity standards and hygiene of our companies uh, increase year over year over year over year. So uh, something's happening. Something's getting through. It seems like the message is being received and and people are improving uh, their cybersecurity, which again is, is, uh, I think, makes us all better off. Um, Let me ask you uh, one uh, last question, which is, um, you know, uh, cyber 
security is something we haven't taken seriously as seriously uh, mm -hmm. as we've needed to until very recently, right? I mean, we are supercharging these efforts uh, and setting new milestones and goals. There's more investment that's going into it. The department's taking a more serious uh, approach to its senior leaders now say, hey, it's not just about the number of ships I buy or airplanes. Yeah. If they're not secure, we have a fundamental uh, problem. Uh, right. From your standpoint, what are the next Rubicons? I mean, right, what are the next things that we need to be tackling nationally? Um, because it's a very big problem. People are still getting hit by ransomware attacks. We just yep. saw Boeing, uh, like a lockbit hit Boeing of all uh, yep. companies uh, and, and compromised its data. We know that F-35 data many years ago was compromised, uh, you know, proprietary Lockheed Martin data on the F-35. What, what are the next things that have to happen to improve our national and national security, uh, cyber uh, security. Well, it really does. It really does start with the basics. I know it sounds tedious at this point in time because you know we we all and everyone listening on this podcast has probably repeated this you know mantra for the last decade or more. But the basics, Vago, is, is it it really really still matter. And I think, uh, for example, uh, Jen Easterly at CISA has done a great job of like tweeting out like. MFA, you know, don't forget your MFA like every other week, um, because that repetition uh, is important. So I'd say let's not keep our eye off the ball when it comes to just the basics of, you know, cybersecurity hygiene, like I mentioned before, of, of you know, strong passwords, strong authentication controls, uh, backups, right? Having offline encrypted backups that you test regularly. I can't stress that enough. Test them regularly. Um, and all of that, which is, again, seems very basic, again, to the people listening here, but is is going to keep out, you know, uh, so many threats. Or if you get hit, uh, you're going to be able to be stood up so much more quickly. Um, and then, look, again, I have to put in a plug for uh, the actions of the folks in the Department of Defense, uh, the Department of Justice and others that are really taking the fight uh, to the adversary. Um, I would love to see more of that. I think, um, you know, we've, we've seen some progress, but more can be done. Um, and so, you know, uh, adding more kind of uh, fuel to that fight, I think would be great. And then of course, just general greater, greater cooperation between um, uh, industry and government and greater education all around. And I think we'll be able to, to make a real difference. Uh, Mike, uh, thanks so very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Hope you and yours have a very happy uh, Thanksgiving. And I hope that uh, Congress uh, comes to its senses and recognizes how important uh, the affordable connectivity program is uh, and that we can uh, get that service uh, to Americans who need it and especially to the veterans out there uh, who desperately need it. And best of luck uh, with Vets in Tech as well. And look forward to you being a regular voice uh, on this program. Thanks so much again. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you and happy to, to join you anytime, Vago. Really appreciate the time. And thanks very much to our audience uh, for joining us. Uh, and a very special thanks uh, to Bell and all of our sponsors that make this program possible every day. A quick programming word because of Thanksgiving tomorrow, we are going to be skipping uh, the Friday roundtable as well, but we will be back again on Sunday with uh, the Business Roundtable. Hope everybody has a very happy Thanksgiving uh, and a great holiday weekend. And we look forward uh, to having you back on the program on Sunday. Until then, keep well and all the best.